Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You have your own podcast. Well, yeah, see, so we got the audio for the podcast out there. You know, folks, I appreciate that, Gus. By the way, go download and subscribe to the podcast, everybody, the Joel Clash Show. And there we go. Look at that. And look at that. Who go are download you? the podcast. Who are you, Howard Stern, the king of all media now? <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. What's up, everybody? It is the Joel Klatt Show. Welcome in. I'm Joel Klatt. Uh, busy day here in the middle of the week, getting ready for college football this weekend. Can't wait. Going to be in Michigan. Gus will be back. He's feeling great. Talked to him yesterday, actually. So uh, can't wait for that. We'll not have. You won't have to suffer through my play-by-play this week. Um, lots to get into today. Uh, our first podcast this week, if you haven't listened, go check it out. Uh, real good thoughts on Oklahoma. And, and what they are this year, uh, as well as uh, some thoughts on that AM game. They win over Miami. And then I give, listen, if, if you're a team that has been struggling and, and you're in the bottom of college football right now, like Kansas was, Kansas is teaching us some lessons. And, and I tell you what those lessons were. So, hey, Colorado fans, go check out uh, Pod 1 this week. That was on Monday. Today, though, we've got a lot to get into, and I am pumped about this podcast today because, listen, we're going to get into Michigan, all right, as we get ready for that game against Maryland. We're going to get into Georgia. I've got some real good thoughts on Georgia, some teams that we got to keep our eye on, all right, that are, let's just say, playing better than expected this year. And then I've got a lot of great thoughts for you folks on how we can fix non-conference schedules. That's how we're going to close things out uh, here today. But first, let's get into Michigan. Check it out. I don't know how good we are. I feel like we look good, but you, we, we haven't faced no adversity yet. You know what I'm saying? So like, I really don't know how good we're going to be. I feel it. I feel like we're going to be great. You know what I'm saying? But um, I, I can't tell you. There was Blake Corum, sensational running back, by the way. He just had a million touchdowns last week. Um, he says, I don't know how good we are. And guess what? I don't either. What do we actually know about Michigan currently? They're 3-0. They've beat their opponents by 50-plus points, average, average margin. So what do we know? What do we know about the Michigan Wolverines? Not much. <laughs> Not much. I'm studying for this game. So just so you know, like I print off a, a small version of my boards. I'm showing you, those of you that are watching this, I'm showing my boards right now. And it's, it's a packet. So I've got the defense, I've got the offense, everything. And I write down notes all week long as I'm watching film, as I'm reading articles, having conversation with those around the program. And that's my first question. Hey, what do we know about Michigan? Not much. 
except for a couple of things. And I think that they're being lost as people just rip on their non-conference schedule. So what are they? Well, I do know that this is a pretty mature team that knows how to handle their business. They've proven that to me. How have they proven that? Because they've done exactly what, they've, what they're supposed to do against a weak schedule. They face Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn. What are you supposed to do against that? Beat them up badly. Score over 50. Win by over 50. That's exactly what they're doing. Their average margin of victory right now, we haven't seen this from a Michigan team dating back into the 30s. Okay, We haven't seen them score this many points since dating back all the way, you know, point-a-minute offenses in the early 1900s. So what are you supposed to do against a schedule like they've played so far this year? Exactly what they're doing. What does that tell me? I know that this is a mature and motivated team. Okay, so there are things and conclusions you can draw from this. Now, are they on the field? Not really. We can start to think about what we know about them on the field, but really, what do we know concrete about Michigan? That this is a mature team that knows how to handle their business. That's not nothing. All right? I know a lot of teams that don't know how to do that. I know a lot of teams that have struggled in games that they were three touchdown favorites in, and that hasn't been the case with Michigan. So that is a mature team that knows how to handle their business. In the middle of by the way, a quarterback change. I was actually talking with people around the program. Cade McNamara took a lot of the first team reps in fall camp. All right, so this was not something that everyone thought this was the way it was going to go. It, it just so happened that the way Cade played early and the way J.J. played early, it was abundantly clear that J.J. McCarthy was going to be the quarterback. So that is something that I have learned. Okay, here's what I think I know about Michigan. Let's start with their offensive side. Their offense should be one of the best offenses in college football, and that's the way that they've played so far. Granted against nobody, but that's the way that they've played. And J.J. McCarthy has made them much more explosive. When you actually look at his numbers, they're pretty staggering right now. And there's some categories that he hasn't, for instance, had enough passing attempts to qualify for like the leaders, national leaders in yards per attempt. But he's up there. He's up there. He's got 14 yards per attempt right now. That would be one of the leaders in the country, but he hasn't attempted enough passes. Okay, that's fine. He'll get there soon. Yards per completion, about 10 and a half. Uh, when you look at just rushing and or, or excuse me, uh, uh, rushing and or passing, J.J. McCarthy's yards per play is about 13 and a half. That's incredible. Incredible. Okay, he's only thrown four incompletions. 17 drives he's been in there and they've scored 13 times uh, in, in terms of touchdowns. One field goal. So 14 drives they've scored. What do we know about this offense? We know that they can be explosive. I do know that that they've got really good players around McCarthy as well. Oluwatimi, their, their center, he transfers in. This is a guy that's solidifying their offensive line. I know that they're really good outside. They're deep at wide receiver. They're fast at wide receiver. Roman Wilson's one of the fastest players in college football. They've got two, maybe even three running backs that they really love. Blake Corum, who you just heard from, and a young guy, Donovan Edwards, who I love, very versatile. They've got two tight ends that they love. And by the way, some young cats that they think are going to be better than some of the ones that they've ever had come through there. So this offense is really, really good. What do I know about the defensive side for Michigan? Not as much. And in fact, that's where all of my questions are for this Michigan team. They lost a defensive coordinator that I thought was really good in Mike McCarthy. They lost, obviously, Aiden Hutchinson. They lost David Ajabo. They lost, lost Dax Hill, among others. And that's a lot to try to replace. Now, they've played really well so far. 
but it's different. It's different. When you look at this team and the production that they had behind the line of scrimmage last year, it primarily came from a few players. They had a few really great players. And that's what showed up on the stat sheet. This year, it's a little bit different. It's spread out. Now, granted, a lot of players have played, but you have 14 players that have production tackles. What's a production tackle? It's a sack or a tackle for loss. So 14 is a lot. That's more players than had production tackles a year ago. So through through three games, it, it is a defense that continues to play well, although we don't quite know exactly how good they're going to be. There are question marks at the pass rushing position. Why? Because you've got to replace Hutchinson and Ajabo, and that's very difficult to replace. I think that their defensive backs are good, and they've covered well so far, but that's a huge unknown. Dax Hill was a great tackler. The biggest reason why they beat Ohio State last year Yes, they played great on offense, in particular the offensive line around the football, but primarily it was because they forced Ohio State to snap the ball 10, 11, 12 times on every offensive series. They did that by tackling well in space. I thought that the defensive backs did a remarkable job last year against Ohio State tackling well in space. Can they do that again this year? That remains to be seen. In fact, Dax Hill, Dax Hill the safety draft pick, who I thought was their best player in the back end, He's being replaced by a guy that was on offense last year. Mike Sainristil was on offense last year. By all accounts, he has assimilated very quickly to the defensive side of the ball. He's got a good feel for what he's trying to do, but he's still a guy that was a wide receiver last year. And this week against Maryland, they faced four wide receivers who are really good, quality wide receivers. So it remains to be seen. I think we're going to find out a lot more about Michigan this week when Gus and Jenny and I show up there in Ann Arbor in the big house and we get our first look at the Michigan Wolverines against a quality opponent in the undefeated Maryland Terps. All right, moving on. Let's get to a little Georgia. What do we got next? And Georgia is now 3-0, and the number one ranked Bulldogs, the defending national champions, come in and spank the Gamecocks handily, 48-7. to so for a long time in college football, at least the last decade, um, some years we would be asking the question right about now, end of September, that we would be asking, or middle of September, is it Alabama or the field in college football? Is it Bama or the field for the national championship? And so for the first time in well over a decade, it's not Bama that you put into that sentence. It's Georgia. Is it Georgia or the field? And judging by the way that they've played early this season, a conference game, a ranked matchup against Oregon, I'm taking Georgia. If you force me to bet today my own money in a Georgia versus the field equation, I would bet on Georgia. They have looked that good. And rather than bore you with like some deep description about what they're doing and what they look like on the defensive side, are they deep? Yes. Are they talented? Yes. They've recruited ridiculously well are they better on offense yes are they more explosive yes do they have better players on the outside yes Bowers looking at you is their quarterback playing better yes all of it all of it but it's not just about that because they were talented before this team by the way probably isn't more talented than than last year but they have something that the other teams at Georgia haven't had and that is confidence Here's what, what it boils down to. Georgia is playing like a team that doesn't just think that they're really good. They know that they're really good. 
When did that happen? You could say, well, they won a national championship. Yeah, 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 they won a national championship. It's not about the ring and it's not about the trophy. It's about who they beat. They could not beat Alabama and they finally did it. Their confidence would have grown whether they beat Alabama in the regular season or as it was in the postseason in the national championship game. This is the exact same development that we saw a few years ago with Joe Burrow and the LSU Tigers when they conquered Alabama, who is the preeminent program in college football, and then they played with immense confidence moving forward. They played with a totally different level of confidence and swagger from that point on. Remember, they won in Tuscaloosa. It was a pretty good game, but they pulled away late. And then from that point on, they were like a shooting star. You could not catch them, and they ended up throttling everybody that they played, including a Clemson team that was quarterbacked by Trevor Lawrence, who we thought was a generational talent. That's what we're seeing from Georgia. Folks, that game last year in the national championship was more than just a national championship game. It was a springboard into an era of confidence that they, they, they have not seen in Athens. They haven't seen it. They had lost seven straight games to Alabama in every one of those seven games. That goes, by the way, all the way back to 2007. All right, the last time they had won was 2007. It was an overtime win. What was it, 26-23? They had lost seven straight games against Alabama from that point until the national championship game. In every one of those seven games, Georgia was a top 10 team. They knew they were really good. They knew it. But now they believe it. And that's a different sentiment. Growing up in the Denver area, this reminds me a lot of those late 90s Broncos teams. They had not won a Super Bowl with John Elway. They were the number one seed one year, got knocked out by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Then they come back the next year. And what do they do? They kind of scratch through the regular season. They became the wild card team. And then they were a double-digit underdog against the Green Bay Packers, defending Super Bowl champions. And the AFC hadn't won a Super Bowl in, I believe, 12 years at that point. And they beat them. Terrell Davis goes off, Elway with the helicopter, they beat him. They got over the hump. Elway no longer had to ride with this 0-3 in the Super Bowl. And the next year, what did they do? They started the year 13-0. And then they won their second Super Bowl. Because the second year, not that they were a better team, they were a more confident team. Not that this Georgia team this year is a better team, they're just a more confident team. And that's a dangerous thing. That is a dangerous thing when you got some talent. In particular, I think you see it manifested the most in their quarterback, Stetson Bennett. He's playing with that confidence. So watch out, folks, because if it's Georgia or the field, I'm taking Georgia. All right, let's get to some teams that I am uh, keeping my eye on, to say the least, because they have played above expectations. And in some of these, this is like a real pleasant surprise. And it's something that we don't normally see in modern college football, which are some of these programs kind of crawling out of what we would call or I would call the pit of despair. You don't want to be the worst power five team in the country. And someone's going to have that moniker. It's, it's very similar. Do you remember if you're a golf fan like me? I love golf. And if you're a golf fan, remember for so many years, like Phil Mickelson was like best player to not win a major. Well, that's what you don't want that. You don't want that. So great, you're in the Power Five, but you don't want to be the worst Power Five program. That means your budget is a lot larger than everybody else, but you'd likely finish last in the Mountain West <laughs> as well. Kansas had that moniker for a, for a while, folks. You and I both know it. We all know that. 
and here they are coming back and they are in my teams that they that I have my eye on but it's not who I'm going to start with let me start with a team that I actually think has goals that could wind up in a championship game and I'm looking at Minnesota so before the year if you remember I said I think Minnesota could be the dark horse in the Big Ten West and I got some Snickers, uh, you know, at that. Not Snicker bars. I love Snicker bars, but like, like you know, Snickers and Jeers, like Snickering. I guess it would be. So not Snickers, but Snickering. Ah, Minnesota. I mean, they, you know, we got Wisconsin in that division, and Iowa's defense is still going to be really, really good. But look around, look around that division. So not only has Minnesota gone out there and taken care of business, but they're fundamentally a really well-built program right now. They can run the ball. Mo Ibrahim is a really good player. They've got an experienced quarterback. I understand they, they just lost one of their best, if not their best wide receiver, Ottman Bell. He's going to be um, done, and that's not going to be easy to overcome because it's not just a talent-rich program. Having said that, though, this is a program under P.J. Fleck that does the right things. They're good on the line of scrimmage. They're disciplined. They play hard. And you go look at the stats. That's one of the best offenses, one of the best defenses in college football right now. Now, they got the benefit of playing one of the worst teams in the Power Five, which was my Colorado Buffaloes, which was painful. But Minnesota is really good. And I'm not going to be shocked if they wind up in Indianapolis. The reason being, look around the division. What's going on in the Big Ten West right now? Well, Iowa can't score, even if it's 2 in the morning. Although that was fantastic. Wisconsin's offense continues to be Wisconsin's offense, and they have to be carried by their defense. If they can't run it for 250 yards, you can beat them like Washington State did. Northwestern just lost to Duke, I believe. This is a team that's not what they have been when they were making their runs to win the West and, and go to Indianapolis. Nebraska is a dumpster fire right now. So like, look around, and it's like, hey, Minnesota is probably the best option right now. I think Minnesota could wind up in Indianapolis. I'm not going to be shocked at all if the Minnesota Golden Gophers represent the West in Indianapolis. And we'll welcome them there. Gus and Ginny and I will have you. PJ, we're going to be right there. You're going to row your boat down from Minneapolis all the way. I don't even, is there a river that goes from Minneapolis right to Indianapolis? Maybe you can get in your boat and you can just row yourself right down there because I think they could wind up there. I really do. Keeping my eye on Minnesota. Who are some other schools? Well, I mentioned one briefly, but it goes in a larger category. Folks, it's five months early. It's like we're in the middle of September, but really it feels like March. Why does it feel like March? Because we're talking about Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Syracuse, Duke, UCLA, and it's not basketball. How about the basketball schools showing out? Much love. Folks, much love. After a year in which we had that incredible Final Four, and it really was, it was an incredible Final Four. Kansas wins the national championship over North Carolina. That was great, right? North Carolina Duke in the Final Four. Villanova was there. And granted, I don't have no Villanova in this football discussion, but we've got a great basketball year on the turf, on the gridiron. And I absolutely love it. Now, we should have expected this, and we did expect this from Kentucky. Mark Stoops has done a hell of a job there. He just became Kentucky's all-time winningest coach. Congratulations to you. You're right where we thought you would be, which is competing for the SEC East, and that's saying something. That is saying something large. North Carolina, same way. Now, they're not as, as good as Kentucky, 
But with Mac Brown and the way that they've played, in particular on offense, you could see that this was going to—it wasn't going to shock people if they were undefeated at that time. And I think you could say the same about UCLA and Chip Kelly, in particular with the non-conference schedule that they had. By the way, I saw where Troy Aikman took a shot at the attendance, and then Herb Street piles on, and you know what? I kind of agree with them. I kind of agree with them. They need to find a way to get an on-campus stadium, but that will be a different podcast. Then there's these other three that I mentioned that it's like, we didn't expect this from these schools. Let's start with Syracuse. Dino Babers was like on the hot seat. I thought he was going to lose his job last year, and here he is undefeated so far. And by the way, they host Virginia. Then they've got Wagner. They could very well be 5-0 and before they see the bulk of their schedule. I thought they were going to be Sean Tucker-led. Sean Tucker is a great back, by the way. If you haven't heard about Sean Tucker, go check him out. 1,500 yards a, a, a year ago, but it hasn't been Tucker that has led them to this undefeated record so far. It's really been their quarterback, Garrett Schrader. Eight touchdowns, no interceptions. Good on you, man. Cuse is playing well. Uh, that That's a team that it makes me happy when I see guys like Babers and teams overcome. And, and overcome the expectation. And that leaves the other two. Okay, so Duke, they're undefeated under Mike Elko. Got that big win over Northwestern. I like what Duke is doing. Right Now, we've seen under David Cutcliffe, they had some, some decent years, and now Mike Elko is trying to recreate that a little bit uh, there with the Dukies. But they face Kansas. And that's the one that it's like, man, where did this come from? Where did Kansas come from? Lance Leipold is early favorite for coach of the year. You heard me right. Early favorite for coach of the year. I love what Kansas is doing. They're really good on offense, folks. They have not played three cupcakes. They've gone on the road in conference and beat West Virginia. They went on the road against what was last year, a double digit win team at Houston and won. And they've scored a lot of points doing it. Lance Leipold is doing God's work, man. I, I love what Kansas is up to. And that should give a lot of motivation to all those teams that are in the, quote, pit of despair. Because Kansas is doing some serious work. And they've got Duke this week. And it's kind of like a Final Four. <laughs> and I absolutely love it. Uh, I think Kansas is going to win that game. And if it, sneaky, sneaky, they could be undefeated going to Oklahoma in the middle of October. In a month, we could look up and 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 be seeing Kansas playing Oklahoma both undefeated. Like, hey, Big Noon, we need to do that game, don't we? Oh, I would love that. I think Michigan-Penn State's the same day, and I think that would probably take precedent. But damn it, I want so badly to go to Lawrence, Kansas. Rock chalk, baby. Kansas doing it. Absolutely doing it. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, last thought today. Um, so, folks, we all love college football. And in some respect, like, it's just awesome to have it back, isn't it? And we get this giddiness almost like Christmas morning when we get football back, college football in particular. But in the back of your mind, in the bottom of your heart, don't you know, don't you feel the non-conference could be better? 
It's not as good as it could be. You know that's the case. I know that's the case. I'm here to fix it. I have got a plan for the non-conference in college football that will make everything better. I just got to make sure that this gets enacted. Let's just start with this fact. The non-conference, while we've had some good games, listen, Texas, Alabama was terrific. You know, App State, what they've done, I mean, terrific. We've had some some close games even and some upsets here and there. We've had 20-point favorites, three of them on one day, all lose. And that's all well and good. But the bottom line is in the non-conference so far, the average margin is 25 points. That's four scores. This ain't the Gettysburg Address. Four scores ain't going to cut it, folks. We got to get better at scheduling in college football. There was only seven ranked matchups, and there's been only 15 teams so far in college football not play an FCS team. Come on. We can do better than this. We can do better than this. And by the way, I think we're leaving a lot of revenue on the table. A lot of revenue. There is a massive imbalance in scheduling. We leave it up to these ADs more on that uh, in a moment, but a massive imbalance. Did you know that Vanderbilt, who's trying to get out of the pit of despair, as I defined it earlier, has six true road games this year, while Michigan and Ohio State, who are true blue bloods and sitting in the top four in the country, have to go on the road four times. That shouldn't be a thing. The Cowboys don't get to sit at AT AT&T Stadium more often than Green Bay has to travel away from Lambeau Field or Jacksonville. We don't force those teams to leave their stadium more often than others outside of true neutral sites like the, the games in London. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy, and we've got to fix it. We've got to fix non-conference scheduling. So how do we do that? Well, you've got to know how non-conference schedules are made. Right now, they're just made by athletic directors. If you don't know this, they literally call each other or at things like the National Football Foundation Hall of Fame. They get together, and they're having cocktails, and they're like, hey, we should play in 2032. We've got an open date. And then this guy is like smoking a cigar, and he's like, oh, that sounds great. We should do that. And then they shake hands, and then they send out a, send out a tweet the next week and it's like oh look at us beating on their chest we're gonna play georgia in 2057 nobody cares nobody cares and nobody in the modern world needs to plan out in a deck a decade in advance their travel plans for road games in college football it's totally archaic and it needs to change and those athletic directors which by way by the way is de facto the head coach Their only objective is to make a schedule advantageous to them. Not for all of college football and not even for the overarching fan necessarily. To them. More advantageous for them. One of the biggest issues in college football is that everybody is acting in their own best interest. And we don't have somebody or something acting in the best interest of the entire sport. What is that umbrella? Folks, By the way, I say folks a lot. We should make a drinking game out of it on this podcast. Every time I say folks, just, I mean, you could be water. Like, I don't suggest if you're listening to this in your car, like, don't take a shot. Maybe that's unsafe. But anyways, I say folks a lot, so we can make something out. 
this is not working and we need to fix it. The first way to fix it is that we have to create an overarching governing body over the sport. When I talk with coaches all over the country, whether it's James Franklin or Nick Saban or any of these guys in the meetings, generally, after we talk about the team and the matchup that week, I will throw out to them an overarching question about the sport generally. And I'll say, if you could fix one thing in college football, what would it be? Do you know what answer I get? Almost every time, I'm talking like 98% of the time, they say, we need a commissioner. Now, what they're saying is, I don't think they're saying we need an individual. They're saying we need a body, some a board, a commissioner, a commissioner's office that sits over the sport and looks after the entire sport and doesn't have just their own best interest at heart. The coaches know it, so we need to do that. I actually think that there is a perfect governing body sitting there ready to go. Why is it perfect? Because it has the power of the purse and the power of the rings. This is not Lord of the Rings, folks. I'm talking about the CFP, the college football playoff. They already have a board of governors. They already distribute large sums of revenue, and they have the power to crown the champion in the sport. So they have leverage. We need to give them more. They need to be the overarching governing body in college football. Now, they could take a look at and start to fix any number of issues, and there are many, NIL transfer, potentially negotiating with an association to give revenue share to players. There's a lot going on in college football, a lot. But one of those is scheduling, scheduling. Now, what would I do? What's the plan? What's the objective in scheduling? Well, that overarching governing body, let's call it the CFP, they would be in charge of then every non-conference game in college football, regular season or postseason. So not only are they in charge of, let's say, the expanded playoff, they would also be in charge of every non-league game in college football. You would grow their inventory, and they would have three objectives with all of that inventory, only three. Increase competitive intensity and inventory, increase parity, and increase revenue. And I've got the plan. All you got to do is call me, guys. I can sit down there. I can do it on the whiteboard. I can write this up for you. Here is the plan. And it's going to achieve all three of those objectives. First and foremost, every single school in the country would play nine conference games. I don't care if you're in the Sun Belt or the SEC or the ACC, you're going to play nine conference games. That leaves three non-league games for every school in the country. And this is how they would be divvied up. Big conferences, the power conferences, would get two home games, every school, and one road game. The smaller conferences, that would be flipped. Two on the road, one at home. And then this is the beauty of it. And this is how we're going to increase competitiveness and parity all at the same time. Based on where you finished the previous season, in your conference, you will be put into a pool. There's going to be four pools. Everybody in the country goes into a pool. You're either in pool one, pool two, pool three, or pool four. And then we're going to have a blind draw of who you're playing, and it's going to be opponents within your pool. I believe that the best programs in the country should be expected to play the toughest schedules in the country. We should expect that. By the way, they should not they should not balk at that because we've got an expanded playoff coming. We've got six at-large spots. So great programs can afford to lose a game 
and still make it to the postseason. Their main objective will still be still be intact, even if they're playing a tougher schedule. The way that this would go is that if you are a first-place finisher, second-place finisher, third-place finisher, there would be about 15 schools in the country that would be placed into Pool 1 from the big conferences. And on a blind draw, I would select you two games from that pool outside of your league. You're going to play one of those games on the road and one of them at home. Then I would go to pool number one in the small conferences. I would take one of those teams out, and you're going to host that team at your stadium. So now you're playing a more difficult schedule than the teams that finished last in your conference, which you can't afford because the playoff is expanding, and there's still six at-large spots out there. There were only seven ranked matchups in the non-conference so far this year. Only seven. As I was building this out, if you just quickly go through the math, between pool one and pool two, most of those teams are ranked. And you start making these matchups home and and on the road, you're going to have, at a minimum, based on the year and the week, 25, 30, maybe even upwards of 35 ranked matchups just in the non-conference. Did you hear what I said? This year, there were seven so far. Seven. I could give you 25 on the low end. That's good for the sport. The games will be more competitive because like teams will be playing like teams. If you're at the bottom of the conference, it gives you a better opportunity to win football games, gain success, and move yourself up. Just for an example, folks, Michigan this year, if it was my model, if I was on the CFP board and I was making schedules for you, they wouldn't play Hawaii and Yukon and Colorado State. No, no, no. They would host Oregon, host Central Michigan, and go to Clemson. Alabama, you wouldn't get your four non-conference games and get a feather in your cap just for going to Austin while you play Austin P in November. No, 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 no. You're going to host Utah, host App State, and go to the shoe and face the Buckeyes in Columbus. That is how you grow the sport. More interest, more revenue, more revenue distribution, and ultimately just better for the fans. We want to see better games. I can give you better games. I want to see more competitiveness. I can give you more competitiveness. We need more parity in the sport. I can give you more parity in the sport because the way that it is right now, seven ranked matchups so far in the non-conference, that ain't cutting it. Folks, that's going to do it for today's edition of the Joel Class Show. Thank you so much for uh, listening. Make sure to tune in tomorrow. We've got a nice breakdown of some of the week's uh, matchups going into the weekend. And we've got a lot of good matchups, by the way. And I've got some uh, interesting lines that I'm going to be talking about. Six games, six top 10 teams that I feel like should be on potential upset alert. That's coming up on Thursday. Follow me at Joel Clatt on Twitter. Follow the show at Joel Clatt Show on Twitter and all social medias. And I appreciate you listening. Make sure to subscribe, download the show. And at the end, give us a rating, give us a review. We appreciate it, folks. Gotta love college football. Middle of the week, Saturday's almost here.